This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Mr. Jones takes center stage at MetLife Stadium tonight. And what a different feeling for Daniel Jones compared to any other time in his NFL career. This is year number five. Think about it. Year one, he's the sixth overall pick uh, who nobody wanted them to take because he was unknown out of Duke. The Giants fans wanted the team to go defense. They wanted them to go offensive line. They wanted them to wait to pick their quarterback the following year, perhaps a Justin Herbert, and they picked Daniel Jones. And he's the backup quarterback to Eli Manning for two full games before Eli is sent to the bench, and Jones comes out and takes the reins of the organization. And who can forget his first game in Tampa Bay? It was an unbelievable performance, and it was another one of those games similar to, and I refer to this a lot, that opening game last year in Tennessee where Jones played really well. And the Giants played really well in that game at Tampa in Jones' first start, but it still took a missed field goal at the end for the Giants to pull out the victory, but they did, and they were off and running. But then it was a false start and a stop and go for Jones and the Giants from there on out. Very, very little winning, and it resulted in Pat Shermer being let go and then Joe Judge coming in in 2020, the COVID year with no fans in the stands at all. And the Giants, I think, even at 6-10, and 10, probably exceeded expectations. People were all in on Joe Judge for a little while, but Jones himself had regressed. And then in 2021, year two under Joe Judge, Daniel Jones still didn't take that leap. Inconsistent, throwing the football, turnovers still plaguing him, interceptions, fumbles, and then... He went away the last seven games of the season. The one thing that came out of that 2021 season, and that was the last under Judge, the one thing that came out of that season was no matter what you felt about Jones, you knew that the Giants were a lot worse off with somebody else as their quarterback. But then Joe Judge moved on, and then in comes Brian Dayball. And it's really one more shot for Daniel Jones because the Giants did not pick up his fifth-year rookie option before last season. It was a prove-it year for Daniel Jones. And, Frankly, the first game, it looked like more of the same. He made a couple of throws, and then he made a couple of bonehead throws. And then when you really started to feel that things were different for the Giants last season was in week one in that game in Nashville against the Titans. When the Giants didn't move the ball, I don't even know if they got a first down in the first half of that game. And then in the third quarter, Saquon Barkley breaks free for a big play. They get back into the game, and then they take the lead, and then they're driving to try to take the lead again late in that fourth quarter, and Jones just throws a horrific pass that's intercepted in the end zone. And you remember Brian Dayball? This is really our first look at Brian Dayball last year, lit into his starting quarterback on the sideline as if he were a college freshman and Dayball was Nick Saban. It was a scene that you don't really see in the NFL. And then Jones came back out. Giants get the drive to pull to within a point. And then the next thing you notice about Dable is he's holding up two fingers. And then he dials up the trick play. Barkley into the end zone. Two-point conversion. Good. Giants take the lead. And they're fortunate to win the game when the Titans missed a field goal in the closing seconds. But then Jones started to get better and better and better. And then, I've, as I've said, the last half of the season, and I, I spoke with Jordan Runon of ESPN, 
during this offseason about Jones specifically, and he has said, and he's right, and you can go look it up. I know Barkley, and I said it moments ago, Barkley was the most important player in the Giants last season. Last year, the second half of the season, Barkley got a little tired. Barkley got a little nicked up. The second half of the season last year, the Giants' best offensive player was by far and away Daniel Jones. And then he had an historic wild card game against Minnesota where between rushing and throwing the football, he did things that no one had ever done before in a playoff game. But this now, coming off of the $160 million contract, $82 million guaranteed, even though it was recently restructured slightly, this is the first time he's ever come into the season as the guy, as the man. This is the first time that Giants fans are pointing to Daniel Jones and saying one of the reasons we can be successful is because we have that guy as our starting starting quarterback. I remember interviewing Mike Tannenbaum last preseason. So the Giants had already declined Daniel Jones's option, and you figured he was just playing out the string, and the Giants were going to either try to draft a quarterback or they were going to go into the free agent market to bring in their new quarterback. And I remember asking Tannenbaum if he thinks it's a possibility during last season that Tyrod Taylor would usurp Jones as the Giants' starting quarterback. Seriously, that's where Jones was a year ago, and now look where he is right now. People are pointing to that dude and saying, we're good because that guy's our quarterback. Chris Canty on Unsportsmanlike on Jones compared to Dak Prescott. At this point, I trust Daniel Jones going into this season more than I trust Dak Prescott. I can't believe I'm saying it. Now, a big part of it has to do with Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka and what they've done, but then also what Joe Shane did in front office by being able to go out and get Darren Waller, going out and get Jalen Hyatt, who looks like a stud, and he, now he's rocking 13 like he's Odell. But I like the pieces that they put around Daniel Jones. I like the offensive line that's in front of him, and then they still found a way to keep Saquon Barkley. I trust Daniel Jones and what I'm going to get from his body of work this season more than I trust Dak Prescott. It's the most weapons he's ever had. It's the best offensive line he's ever had. And it's the most confidence that Daniel Jones has ever had entering an NFL season. He is just scratching the surface of what he can be. Is Jones ever going to be a top five quarterback in the NFL? I don't think so. I don't think he gets into the class of where Mahomes and Burrow and Josh Allen are and where Aaron Rodgers has been for the last 15 years and where Justin Herbert can potentially be. I don't think that is in Jones's future. But you know what? That was never in Eli Manning's repertoire either. Eli Manning, if he was ever a top-five quarterback for like a regular season, he dipped in on the outer skirts of the top five. Eli Manning, during his prime years, was, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth-best quarterback in the NFL. And you know what that was good enough for? That was good enough to win two Super Bowls because Eli as we know, was at his best when the games were most important. You don't need a top-five quarterback to win the Super Bowl. It doesn't hurt, but you don't need that. You also don't want a bottom-five quarterback, and the Giants don't have a bottom-five quarterback. They don't have a bottom-ten quarterback. This is the first time in a long time, probably since Tom Coughlin was the head coach, that the Giants can point to their starting quarterback and say, He's the reason why we're going to win games. So all that being said, here's Jordan Runon on New York game day today. Is there extra pressure now on Daniel Jones? 
the pressure's already been on him for the last four years. Everyone's been all over him. He's he for uh, a top ten pick. He's actually a very polarizing guy. So I don't think he looks at it that, at it that way. And I think if as long as he does, and I don't think people realize how well he played this year. If he does what he did last year, right, same thing, but with the better weapons around him and, and the weapons around him. Think about what he was playing with last year with Marcus Johnson, David Sills, um, Kenny Galladay, who's not in the league right now, Richie James. I mean, that was his. Those were his top weapons. Daniel Bellinger was like one of his top weapons as a rookie. You know, mid-round pick. And, you know, he's a guy you could scheme up stuff from. But he's not exactly going to win one-on-one and with regularity. So if he does the same thing he did last year, I would be surprised if Daniel Jones doesn't throw between like 25 and 30 touchdown passes with a better supporting caster. So here's the thing. As I mentioned earlier, it has become a thing around here and even throughout the NFL. It's become a little bit of a debate, Daniel Jones or Dak Prescott. And as I like to size up the quarterbacks in each conference in the offseason, like I mentioned earlier, I think seven of the top eight quarterbacks in the NFL are in the AFC. And I think it's pretty clear, to be honest with you. The only one out of the NFC is Jalen Hurts. What I have said is, by the end of the year, how many teams in the NFC feel right now, week one, How many teams feel that by the end of the year, they could have the second-best quarterback in the NFC? I don't think Washington feels that with Sam Howell. Dallas certainly does. In fact, I think Dallas right now at this moment in time has the second-best quarterback in the NFC in Dak Prescott. The Giants now, if they don't feel that Jones can be the second-best quarterback in the NFC by the end of the season, are fooling themselves. The Giants absolutely feel that way. So do the Vikings with Kirk Cousins. He had a really good year last year. I guess you want to tell me the Bears do. People certainly think the Bears can have the second-best quarterback in the NFC by the end of the year. By the way, by the way, you talk about bad timing. Last hour, I go on a rant on how I just don't see it in Justin Fields. And as I'm ranting about that, him not being a good thrower of the football, he throws a touchdown pass. However, shortly after that, he threw a pick six. That was returned for a touchdown by Green Bay. Fields, we knew you were going to probably throw that pick six. You couldn't have done it while I was ranting about you not being a good thrower of the football. You couldn't have helped me out a little bit. How good would that have made me look? So the Bears are now trailing the Packers at home. It's supposed to be a big bounce back season for the Bears. Over Bears and the Giants, I think, have the same over-under win total. I think it's seven and a half. Giants number was seven and a half. I'm pretty sure the Bears over under win total was seven and a half. Give me a head to head bet on which team is going to win more games this year. My goodness. The Bears are at home with increased expectations. Year three for this quarterback that everybody thinks highly of against a Packers team with a quarterback starting week one for the first time in his career. And it's like Aaron Rodgers is still there in his prime. It's the same old. I wonder if. Jordan Love's going to walk off Soldier Field today yelling at the Bears fans, I own you. Maybe it wasn't Rodgers who owned the Bears. Maybe it was the Green Bay Packers. Whoever's wearing that uniform owns the Bears. My God, they're down 38-14 to with about four and a half minutes to go. I digress again. Back to teams in the NFC who feel that by the end of this season, they very well could have the second-best quarterback in the conference. We've got the Cowboys. We've got the Giants. We've got the Bears. We've got the Vikings. I think I would put the Saints in there. 
I think if Derek Carr has the kind of year he did two years ago, there's a path for him to be the second-best quarterback in the NFC by the end of the season. And then as far as the Rams are concerned, it's strictly injury-related for Matt Stafford. He won the Super Bowl two years ago. He's been a top-10 quarterback throughout much of his career. Last year was a lost season, and now he's in his mid-30s. So how much does he have left? By the way, so far so good, it seems, for Stafford because the Rams on the road lead the Seahawks 27-13, and they have the ball with two minutes to go, and Stafford has thrown for 334 yards so far. But that is the company that Daniel Jones keeps. And I understand that if he was in the AFC, then there's no way we would even be talking about Jones being a top two or top three quarterback in that conference. But he's not. He's in the NFC. But that's why tonight is so big. Because Jones has never beaten Dak. He's beaten the Cowboys once. The Giants have lost 11 of their last 12 games against the Cowboys. The only game that they won was the final game of the season in 2020. It was the day where the Giants needed to win and then have Washington lose on Sunday night, and then the Giants would have won the NFC East and gotten into the playoffs with a 6-10 and record. And that was the day that Doug Peterson pulled Jalen Hurts, the Philadelphia quarterback, midway through that game and basically handed the game to Washington. Washington won the division. The Giants were eliminated. Uh, People got on the Giants for complaining about that. I thought the Giants had a right to complain about that. Um, I thought the way that Doug Peterson handled that, knowing what was at stake. I don't care what the Giants' record is. If you know that a team is counting on you to win in Week 18, and it's not like this was a veteran quarterback. It was Jalen Hurts, right? They still didn't know what they had in him. Anyway, that's besides the point. The Giants beat the Cowboys that day to go to 6-10. and 10. That, was the la- that was the only time Daniel Jones has beaten Dallas. But the Cowboys quarterback that day was Andy Dalton. It was not Dak Prescott. Daniel Jones has never beaten Dak Prescott. Okay? It's become a thing to say that Jones is better than Dak. I think Dak has become underrated because he hasn't elevated his game in the playoffs. I mean, we see it year after year after year, usually against the 49ers. Dak and the Cowboys, you can punch them into the playoffs every season, either as the division champion or as the fifth seed, as the top wild card team. And then they never exceed expectations in the playoffs. Dak always has turnovers in the playoffs. He's never had that game. But there's a lot of evidence of Dak Prescott not coming up big in the playoffs. One of the reasons is because he gets to the playoffs a lot. So that's what Jones needs to do. You know, before you just sit here and say, I take Daniel Jones over Dak Prescott, let's see Daniel Jones do it for more than a year. He's only done it for one season. Dak has gotten that team. He's put up prolific numbers. He has gotten that team to the playoffs year after year. Now, do I think that Jones is trending upwards, and Dak Prescott is trending down? I do. But at this moment in time, to say that Jones is better than Dak Prescott, I think is unfair to Dak. If I had to put money on it, I would say I really do believe this. By the end of this season, I think Jones will surpass Dak Prescott. I think it started to trend in that direction last season. And the fact that Mike McCarthy, Mike McCarthy, is now the offensive play caller for the Dallas Cowboys, and that's supposed to elevate Dak Prescott's play? That factors mightily into tonight's game and into the season. 
you know, Kellen Moore for his fault, and McCarthy jettisoned him because he didn't like Moore's clock management when he was the offensive coordinator for the Cowboys. He thought he threw too much. He thought he wanted to put up gaudy pass numbers for his offense, and maybe that's true, but they did put up gaudy pass numbers. Year after year, Cowboys were top four offense, top five offense, top six offense in the NFL, and you got rid of that guy. I mean, Moore was unemployed for 15 minutes before the Chargers scooped him up as their offensive coordinator, and now he gets to work with Justin Herbert, a more talented quarterback than Dak Prescott. And he gets to live in Los Angeles. The weather's better, and there's not nearly as much pressure. So it kind of worked out for Kellen Moore, and now it's all on Mike McCarthy. You know, when you make that move and you put it on yourself, you know, McCarthy's a guy who always is a losing season away from losing his job. And he had a lot of success. He won a lot of games. He won a Super Bowl in Green Bay. But he had one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time in Aaron Rodgers. So how much of that was McCarthy? Let's see what he does with Dak Prescott. So if you're asking me to put money right now, by the end of the season, who will be the second-best quarterback in the NFC East? Giving the number one spot, rightfully so, to Jalen Hurts. Who will be number two in the NFC East? I would say... I would put my money on Daniel Jones. And as I say that, wow. So it's 25 to 20. Eagles lead the Patriots with three and a half to go. And as I'm singing the praises of Jalen Hurts on a designed quarterback run up the middle, he fumbles the football and it's recovered by New England in Eagles territory. So now the Patriots needing a touchdown to take the lead with three and a half minutes to go, have the ball back and they have a chance to do so. So as far as Daniel Jones and Dak Prescott goes, it's all well and good to talk about the progress Jones made last year, the weapons that the Giants brought in for him. He's got to beat Dak Prescott. He hasn't done that. You're home tonight. Your team is improved. The place is going to be electric. Go out and win this game tonight. Go out and outplay Dak Prescott. Don't rely on people like me and people like Chris Canty to say that you're better than Dak and that I would take you ahead of Dak, which both of us will. Go out and do it. Make it crystal clear tonight. 1-800-919-3776. Week one in the NFL. Giants and the Cowboys an hour away from that getting going. It's Pat O'Keefe to the top of the hour on 98.7 ESPN New York. You got to get rid- this, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. A lot of surprises in week one. Here's another that just went final. The Raiders go into Denver and beat the Broncos 17-16. to So at least if you base it on week one, there's absolutely no change from the Nathaniel Hackett regime to the Sean Payton regime. How about that? Russell Wilson's numbers were better. 27 out of 34. Good completion percentage. Two touchdowns, no picks but 177 yards and they only put up 16 points and they lose at home to a Raiders team. Look, there's a handful of teams. And and by the way, you're going to start seeing this and we already have it. And and this is now happening with more regularity with the collective bargaining agreement in the NFL being what it is and being so lax on practices and what you can and cannot do with players during training camp and during the offseason. No more two-a-days, limited time with the players. 
weeks one and two, like gobble up those wins if and when you can. But I think year after year, you see more surprises in weeks one and two than you ever used to see. And this week is a perfect example. There are a lot of teams that really before the season are considered bad that won. For example, the Rams. The Rams lead. The Rams are going to win. They're about to beat the Seahawks in Seattle, scoring 23 unanswered points in the second half, 30-13. to 13. So the Rams, if you, if you made a short list of the teams that are expected to be the worst in the NFL this year, like the top 10, or I guess say the bottom 10 teams in the NFL, the Raiders would be on that for sure. The Cardinals would be on that list. The Buccaneers would be on that list. The Rams would be on that list. The Raiders would be on that list. I think I said the Raiders twice. Okay? Well, how do those teams do? The Rams are going to win in Seattle. They just kicked a field goal. It's 30-13 to 13 now. The Buccaneers went into Minnesota. They beat the Vikings 20-17. to 17. The Cardinals had a fourth-quarter lead in Washington before losing to the Commanders 20-16. to 16. And the Raiders went into mile high and beat the Broncos 17-16. Jimmy Garoppolo, all Jimmy Garoppolo does is win. You know, Garoppolo signed as a free agent with the Raiders to be their new quarterback after they let go of Derek Carr. And then there were some injury questions before it became official and people thought that the contract might be voided. If Garoppolo is healthy to play, if he's healthy enough to play, he's he wins. He's won his entire career. Not necessarily because of him, but at a certain point, if somebody wins and wins and wins and wins, they've got something to do with it. So the Raiders beat the Broncos 17-16. to Packers are on their way to a convincing win in Chicago over the Bears. The Patriots turn the ball over, I believe, on downs. So now the... Eagles have the ball. They're still north of the two-minute warning, and it's a third and long for the Eagles. So they still have some work to do to wrap that game up. And I believe that is – oh, I'm sorry. No, the Chargers and the Dolphins. And the Dolphins have the football in the red zone, trailing 34-30 to at the two-minute warning. It's second and goal at the Chargers' nine-yard line. Give Brandon Staley a close game, and he will find a way to blow it. Year three of this for the Chargers, and we'll see if that trend continues. Giants and Cowboys tonight at MetLife Stadium. What a weekend at at MetLife Stadium between tonight and tomorrow with the Jets and the Bills. Our coverage for that game, pregame coverage, begins at 6.15 tomorrow right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Dan Gross and Greg Buttle, as always, with the pregame coverage. Um, Cowboys and Dak Prescott, and he is 10-2 in his career against the Giants, 10-2. and two. And he has 23 touchdowns, and he has seven interceptions, and he has completed 64% of his passes. And here's Prescott on his win streak against Big Blue. I just want to keep on this streak, you know what I mean? Understand this is a good team. It's a different team. Almost every other couple years that we play them with the coaching changes they've had, but um, understanding what they did last year uh, under Dayball uh, with their offense, the, the progression, the defense, um, the players that they've added, that's a good team. Going to give them respect. Julian just tells me Miami finds its way into the end zone, so they take a 36-34 lead over the Chargers with a minute 45 to go. 
Extra point pending. Tua Tungavailoa, 466 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception for Miami. There's another guy. If healthy, you know, you go through these fantasy drafts, and Tua was one of the most interesting names because he played exceptionally well last year. First seven games before the concussion stuff started, he was an MVP candidate. The Dolphins were a candidate to be the number one seed in the AFC, and then their season fell apart when he got injured. When he plays, he puts up huge numbers. He also has maybe the best wide receiver duo in the NFL. And today is another example of that. They have 36 points on the board, 466 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. Now, Dak Prescott's in an interesting spot because of the way that he performed in the playoffs the last couple of years. Remember, it was two years ago where he had that awful brain lock at the end of their playoff game with San Francisco, and he ran the ball, and he got up, and they couldn't get the snap off in time, and everybody thought it wasn't fair that the official didn't spot it in time. No, that was Dak's fault. And the game ended with him standing on the field, unable to get one more playoff. And then last year, again, they were absolutely blown out by the 49ers in the playoffs. And this has happened far too often for the liking of Cowboys fans. So there's already a lot of pressure on Dak Prescott entering this season. And then, of course, in late August, Jerry Jones, without telling Dak and without telling Mike McCarthy, goes out and trades for Trey Lance, who was the number three pick in the draft just two years ago. Maybe putting some pressure on Dak. Look, I was actually in the middle of a show when we learned about that trade. And my initial reaction remains my reaction. If Dak Prescott doesn't get the Cowboys further this year, this very well could be his last season as their starting quarterback. Because then what you would have is you would have Trey Lance, who is able to be groomed this year. He doesn't even need to be the backup quarterback because they're set there. So Trey Lance is able to be groomed. It's not a guy without talent. Yes, the 49ers reached by picking him number three overall, and they reached even further by trading a lot of draft capital to move up to number three to get him. But he's a guy who still would have been picked in the first round. So this is a first-round talent in his early 20s, just two years into the NFL, who's very green and is very much a project who could be developed. Will he be developed to be the quarterback of the future for the Cowboys? I don't know. But if the choice is we've got all of these pieces in place, and if Trey Lance progresses at a rate that we like and Dak doesn't take that next step, rather than pay Dak what we're going to have to pay him down the road, we still have this guy on his rookie contract, and we could fortify the roster around him. That's the name of the game in the NFL if you could figure out a way to win while your quarterback is still on his rookie contract. Here's Jerry Jones when they acquired Trey Lance back in late August on the acquisition. We didn't waste any time. The minute that we knew that they were serious about trading him, then we didn't want the phone to hang up. We did it uh, the equivalent of yesterday. And so uh, we uh, felt good about him, about him in the evaluation that we had for him in the draft. We felt good about what we've seen on tape that he's done since he's been in the NFL. And it was one that we just made the decision almost the minute we heard the name, uh, let's get him. So the biggest question on everyone's mind is, what is Lance's role? Does Lance's presence in Dallas affect Prescott in any way? Didn't cross my mind. 
period, about an impact here regarding Dak. I know that Dak wants to do anything we can do to improve this team, and um, we're, we're going to do it. <laughs> it didn't cross his mind at all. I mean, I, I was not involved in the negotiations. I, I, this completely caught me and many others by surprise, and that was the first thing that crossed my mind. I bet it has crossed his mind since he made those comments on the 27th day of August. 1-800-919-3776. Pat will keep with you another half hour or so. Eagles turn the ball over on downs, so the Patriots have it back. Good field position, but now it's third and one for New England as they trail by five, 25 to 20. New England needs to drive for a touchdown to take the lead against Philadelphia on the day in Foxborough that they honored Tom Brady. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Here is what's happening. The Patriots trail the Eagles 25-20, to 20, and there are 24 seconds to go. The Pats just completed a 4th and 11 on a pass to the near sideline where the receiver had to toe-tap to stay in bounds. However, they are now reviewing that and the indications of the reaction from both sidelines is, yes, it has now been overturned. He did not get both feet in bounds, and the Patriots are out of timeouts. Had that call stood, the Pats would have had first down from about the 11-yard line with 24 seconds to go. Instead, um, Philadelphia can run out the clock. New England has no more timeouts, and that will put a cap on the early windows Week one here in the NFL. So let's just run through what we've what we've seen so far. Um, a lot of surprises and some not so surprises. For example, for me anyway, the Dolphins beating the Chargers in a tight game is not a surprise. But 36-34, two Atunga by Lower throws for 466 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. Matthew Stafford for the Rams throws for 334 yards, and the Rams win in Seattle 30-13. to Seattle was a popular pick to be a contending playoff team in the NFC this year. And again, this is week one, by the way, so it doesn't mean that Seattle's not going to be a contending playoff team. The Falcons and the Panthers, it was the first NFL start for Bryce Young, 146 yards, a touchdown, but he threw two interceptions. Falcons beat the Panthers in Atlanta 24-10. to Joe Burrow throws for a career-worst 82 yards, no touchdowns, no picks, and the Browns take it to the Bengals 24-3. to Not a huge statistical game for Deshaun Watson, but enough to win. So Cleveland beats Cincinnati. Anthony Richardson's first game is a loss, 31-21. Jaguars over the Colts. Richardson did throw for a touchdown and run for a touchdown in that game. Here's another one of those surprises. The Bucks in Minnesota beat the Vikings 20-17 to despite 344 yards passing from Kirk Cousins. The Saints get 305 passing yards from Derek Carr in his first game as their starting quarterback. A touchdown and a pick for Carr. They beat the Titans 16-15. to The 49ers go into Pittsburgh and absolutely manhandle the Steelers. 30-7 is the final score. Christian McCaffrey ran for 152 yards and a touchdown. Brock Purdy, 19 out of 29 for 220 yards. Didn't turn the ball over, and he threw two touchdowns. 30-7, the final score in that game. San Francisco over Pittsburgh. The Commanders score 10 late points in the fourth quarter to pull out a win over the Cardinals 20-16, that game in D.C., 
and the Ravens handle the Texans easily 25-9 to in Baltimore. Lamar Jackson in his first game under his new contract, 169 yards passing with a pick, 38 yards rushing. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, the running back for the Ravens, was lost for the season in that game with a torn Achilles. The Packers and the Bears, without Aaron Rodgers, went pretty much the same way the Packers and the Bears always went with Aaron Rodgers. The Packers went into Chicago, and they beat the Bears 38-20. to Jordan Love threw 245 yards and three touchdown passes. Justin Fields ran the ball very well. Nine rushes, 59 yards, but he threw a pick six, and he threw for 216 yards, 38-20, to the Packers over the Bears. The Eagles just held off the Patriots 25-20, to and the Sean Payton era in Denver begins with a loss Again, a very, a very similar loss to what we saw last year with his good friend Nathaniel Hackett as the head coach. A one-point loss at home as the Raiders, led by Jimmy Garoppolo, come in and beat the Broncos 17-16. to And then another one of those surprises, the Rams 30-13 to over the Seahawks. Matt Stafford seeming healthy, at least in this one, 334 yards passing to lead the Rams to that opening victory. We'll take another break. Some final thoughts on the Giants and the Cowboys and the injury news out of Yankee Stadium this afternoon that will have an impact on fans that are interested in the Yankees at least the rest of this season. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York.